You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Chapter 24. The Pages Unriddled. From the Journal of Sergeant Abigail Gray. Orangeburg, South Carolina, March 21st, 1883. (sighs) a.m. I had the dream again. Same forest, same doorway, same sound of wind rushing and animal noises. The professor and Greta weren't there this time, but as I moved towards the doorway, the growls got louder. I kept trying to wake myself up, as I didn't want the same outcome as before. The flashing eyes and bared teeth as they leapt out for me. Honestly, at this stage, I should be used to those creatures by now. But talking with Sandy about her involuntary flinching has me suspecting I might never be able to regard them with that level of detachment. To me, they will always be a rattlesnake, a mountain lion and a bear all rolled into one. Just this whirlwind of creeping, slinking hunger, coiled up and trembling, ready to spring. I did not see them in my dream, but the sickly yellow light of the doorway engulfed me, and I awoke with my hands out in defense and a cry on my lips. Quickly before it faded, I removed my eye patch and glanced around, again finding the tiny insubstantial smudge floating in the air to the west. Just once, I would like the specifics of the dream to fade from me and this yellow smear in the darkness to remain so that it could be pinpointed rather than the other way around. As James had advised, I closed my sightless right eye and just like before, it disappeared. I opened up again and it was back, imperceptible to anyone else or my regular left eye. I've seen other doors to the far north and to the east. In recent weeks, lights have been blinking into existence and then disappearing just off the periphery of my vision. But the yellow door to the west is always the strongest and most unnerving to me. I moved to the window and gazed out into the night, clocking the watchful lookouts up through the quiet hours to protect us. Far out west across the state of South Carolina lies the border to Georgia, still uncharted and infested in the reunified state's army's next port of call, with the great challenge being the city of Atlanta to clear for resettlement. Behind that lies Alabama, equally wild and inhospitable. And still further behind that lies Mississippi, the place where the Wendigo was first sighted in this country and home to unimaginable horrors. James believes we have to make that journey. I have no idea how we are going to get there within the next year, or if we even should. Part of me just wants to stop having to see that yellow light. Fortunately, at long last, we have reached a settlement that contains, among its survivors, those of extractions both Dutch and German. Yesterday, James was getting pally with a baker named Sophia, So we may soon have some insight into those journal pages of his. 
He still carries them everywhere he goes, poring over this timeline he's writing. We've spoken of that night often. At least, the events that transpired. Not the rest of it. I suppose I should simply accept this about the man and quit trying to force his nose into the kind of territory that makes him so very uncomfortable. He's reassuringly familiar to have around. I've not been asked to travel far without him yet. And Lord knows what I'll say when that day comes, as it eventually must. I'm going to attempt to sleep again and hope that I don't dream. From the Journal of Corporal James Penrose, Orangeburg, South Carolina, March 21st, 1883. With the second edition of the Cartographer's Handbook finally in my hands this morning, I retreated to a quiet room to read it cover to cover and make notes of the updated material. Despite having heard it dozens of times since then, the stirrings I had felt last October and the first reading by Annie to our group at Weirwood returned to me. As I read, I ruminated on what had been achieved by Abigail and I in the months since then. I felt a pang of loss for poor, brave Lieutenant Buckner, as he experienced his final moments as a human being for our edification. The notion of a small percentage of immunity, whilst one not unfamiliar to me, in its publicly revealed fashion, now opens up doorways into how we might learn to live with this affliction. Then I reached Catherine's story, and reread it several times. Annie had hinted that she was seeking for its eventual inclusion, but seeing it here, on the printed page, I felt admiring of our indomitable friend and former leader as a person, embarrassed at how brave and resolved she described myself and Abigail, and a yearning to return. I would like to see these people we grew up with, and thank them for giving us the tools we required to be the survivors we are today. Arlington's story shocked me with its frankness and sincerity. I recalled Annie's anger with Abigail over the revealing of his background in New Athens, and this honest depiction of his harrowing experiences humanized him more acutely than any propaganda will. It is a gambit I hope will pay off in gathered empathy from the nation he is attempting to unite. My mind automatically took me back to the cave and that Wendigo child. No, I shall save that indignant outburst for a more appropriate time. As I finished, my heart stood still. Commander Calvin Wilson, the great British explorer, was describing by proxy exactly the anomaly that Abigail and I had not only witnessed, but were now inextricably connected with. I read and reread the deposition, and comprehended what this revelation at the end of a wholly practical book, intended to be read to every American, now meant. It was an open invitation to explore the unknown, not just in the geographical sense, but in all matters and concepts that might help us comprehend what has happened to our world. The time for hesitation and uncertainty was over. I needed answers and appropriate responses. I rushed out and found Sophia, the Dutch baker, told her supervisor she was needed on urgent government business, and brought her back to the barracks with pen and ink, vox tubes, and a fresh notebook for the translation. The loose pages began on the 3rd of March, 1873. They had no appropriate place in the 1872 journal, and had been found where the key was slipped into the centre. 
in the gap where I also noticed several other pages had been torn out. My theory has been that Krieger, on some level, meant us to find the key, and thus meant us to find these pages. So naturally my curiosity burned at me to discover the message he had relayed. Within minutes I knew, and had fetched Abigail to read through it again. 3rd of March, 1873 This may be the worst, most regrettable day of my long life. Since last week's news of the further viral encroachment of the Eastern States reached us, I have been engaged in a constant verbal struggle with the remainder of our house staff. Millicent, Charlotte's nurse in particular, had several hysterical episodes. It reached the ludicrous point where Charlotte was in fact looking after her. I insisted upon our safety in this house, relative to fleeing out into the unknown, and considered several times revealing Greta's controlled abilities to them as our perfect escape route, should these feral beasts encroach upon us. But this secret holds fast within me, and she paid no heed to my soothing words. Last night, in the manner of slinking thieves, Millicent, our cook Winifred, and Clyde, the stable boy, rode off and abandoned the three of us. They took with them all three of the horses, a good portion of the food, and my mother's silverware. Greta spent a good twenty minutes roaming the grounds, calling out for them. I watched her from afar, my heart breaking unable to even approach and furnish her with the horrible truth. Eventually I came and took her by the hand, and we walked without a word into the parlor where I poured the brandy, telling her everything was going to be all right and that I would never leave her. The second part was at least the absolute truth. I fetched her Stradivarius and asked her to play for me, knowing that it would calm and focus her. The magnitude of this situation weighing upon me I went and sat with Charlotte as she lay in the study bedroom. I stroked her hand and talked soothingly. But inside, my mind was racing over the possibilities. It is now beyond a shadow of a doubt to me that the southern portal in Mississippi was her doing. The date of the first outbreak matches up too perfectly with her first contact for this to simply be coincidence. Now with news of the creatures hitting our shores from foreign lands, I cannot comprehend how many other portals may have been opened at that precise moment, nor how many have been opened since, during the troubling seizures she has been gripped by. If it was simply pathways ripped wide in the same room as she, if we could counter this, with Greta on hand and the control she has, if we could close everything that was opened before us. But the notion that these doors are opening remotely, thousands of miles from the progenitor, and feasibly witnessed by nobody until something nightmarish emerges. It is an unsustainable situation, and it puts our planet in the gravest of danger. At the mercy of pure chaos, until such time as this power leaves Charlotte's body. It was when I came upon this simple fact that I broke down and wept. Burying my face in her sweetly scented hair, I have tried and tried to force my reckoning to adapt to her continued existence. But now with the three of us alone, 
I have no more options. First still, the nature of the power frightens me beyond words. As I write this, I am looking at a shelf full of chemicals and compounds, any one of which would deliver a lethal dose to my poor darling. But the moment that happens, the power would pass to the only sentient being within the vicinity, which would be me. I have examined the notes I made a year ago and gone over the process time and again. The power currently within Charlotte and Greta is an energy that must be contained within a vessel. It cannot exist externally. If I stay with her while she slips away, my world will become dark, my eyes sightless. Then what will become of Greta and I, stumbling around our cozy mansion, unable to take care of ourselves? All that would happen then would be our deaths and the returning of the power to both orbs. Pointless, fruitless, weak-filled, and such waste. No, I must remain the keeper and protector, not the holder of the power. Watching her peacefully sleeping, I realize this must not be something she should ever have to consider. It would traumatize her and make her last moments panicked and frenzied. Maybe even opening up countless new portals around the globe in the process. Without the intelligent consideration for what was on the other side of each, this would lead to the needless death and suffering of thousands, perhaps millions. It could be even worse than allowing her to live in this wretched state for a dozen more years. It was now so clear to me that she had to depart, and peacefully in the process. I swiftly prepared a cocktail within my sharpest syringe that would send her into a deep, dreamless sleep, slowing her heart and gently shutting down her physical faculties until her body ceases to function. That will give Greta and I time to get far away from her. I smoothed at her bare arm, pierced the vein, and performs the injection with a sudden calmness and surety that I have been waiting to feel for some time. This is, without question, the right thing to do. For the three of us, and for the world. I boarded up her windows, and placed her inner orb in its locked box within the wardrobe. If my theories are sound... Then at the point of her death, the energy within her will return to the orb. There it shall stay until some clever, fortitudinous types come along and discover it. I have not the strength or resolve to be protector of two any more. I will instead focus my efforts on Greta. I shall not tell her what I have done. It is better if she believes Charlotte left with the nurse, cook, unstable boy. I took from the room her last painting to keep upon my study wall. While it has none of the detail of her earlier work when she was able to see, the passion in her brushstrokes is more strong and vibrant than ever.
I have just closed the bedroom door, taking my final glimpse of my sleeping beauty. I must be strong and trust in my judgment and abilities as a chemist. Somewhere is in my mind a younger man has been screaming at me for some time, admonishing his mature self for this cold and brutal action. I've had to sternly tell this young man that it may seem unbearably cruel. But the historical importance of her death and the crucial isolations that she must be subjected to at that point will rid the world of this powder keg of calamity. It is that horrendous potential that my actions address, not the poor creature whose body is inhabited. I do not believe in the soul, unlike Greta. But just this once, I will allow myself to silently share her ideals that my love will find a peace, freed from her earthly shackles. For I, a religious man, I would say, God forgive me. Instead, I will only hope that if this course of action ever comes to light, that what has been written into these journals and the greater cause they serve is taken into consideration. In that manner, humankind may well forgive me, for I sought nothing but its flourishing. My God, that monster! Poor Charlotte. We have to get this to Washington. Immediately. Stories and poems and tomes for you Parables rich with the riddles you'd wrestle with If you'd read them through But light leaks through these lights And fiction
You have just finished listening to Secret Rooms. Written, narrated, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. James Penrose, Hector Gray, Vincent Penrose, Carl, Troy, Thomas Arlington, and Malloy, performed by Alexander Shaw. Annie Oakley, Doris Cooper, and Estelle Penrose, performed by Loretta Saylor. Frank Butler, Dr. Potts, and Mr. Williams, performed by Spencer Lieb. Lucy Weatherfield, Mrs. Williams, and Street Urchin, performed by Theo Lee. Johan Krieger, Tommy Sweeney, Jeremy Pines, and Mayor Lucas Buck, performed by Matt Wardle. Pearl Gray, Susan Hendrickson, Tabitha Chorley, Mary Sampson, and Greta, performed by Maureen Foley. Catherine Holloway, performed by Maya Santandrea. Nathan, performed by Eric Jones. Joanna Gray, performed by Lyra Shaw. Virgil, performed by Lauren Grieve. Various townspeople, performed by Loretta Saylor, Theo Lee, Spencer Lieb, Matt Wardle, and Alexander Shaw. Special thanks to Andrew Dupin and Eric Siska of We Hate Movies as the goblin-fearing townspeople. Artwork by Antonio Torresan. Medical consultant, Doctor of Pharmacy, Lauren Grieve. Music. Perilous Road, composed and performed by Marianne Cole. Make Your Decision, composed and performed by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. One Wild West, composed and performed by Edward Blakely of Shockwave Sound. Still, composed and performed by Ross Bugden. Emotional, powerful, and ambient music, composed and performed by Mattia Cupelli. Silent Winter, composed and performed by Running Wolf. Claire de Lune, composed by Claude Debussy. Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach. Arranged by Kevin MacLeod. Celtic Impulse Long Road Ahead Stormfront Classic Horror Evening Melodrama Cold Sober Stoic Morning Drums of the Deep Friday Morning Smoking Gun Clean Soul Light Thought Creeping to Ship Unanswered Question Fantastic Dim Bar Shores of Avalon The Escalation Prelude in Action Fife and Drum On the Cool Side Reawakening Evening Fall Lamentation One of Them Frozen Star Pepper's Theme Fanfare for Space and Thunder Dreams Composed and Performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio New Century is funded by our loyal supporters on Patreon Annie Oakley and Frank Butler will return in Arlington Yes. 
Sir, the British explorer is here to see you. Wilson. Yes, he's brought back some information from Manitoba. Calm down, Pines. Sorry, sir, I shouldn't. It's just the most detailed account of a wind door we've heard so far, and as sources go, this one's fairly reputable. I don't want to oversell it before it even starts up, but... Well, you wanted your epilogue for the second edition? Sir, with this guy, I think you have it. Well... You better send him in, then. Yes, sir, Director Arlington.